of the things that I believe in this current day and age that we run up against is the issue of self-condemnation, comparison, expectation. We live in a cultural space of doing it all, a social media space of seeing it all, all the great vacations and all the great relationship tributes and all the perfectly prepared meals and nicely decorated homes, the business accolades of associates and friends, the award banquets and the celebrations, all wonderful things, but of course, only part of the story. We should earn good money. We should be good parents. We should create good in the world by starting a nonprofit that will save the starving orphans in Africa and stop the sex trade. And don't forget, you should look hip, thin, and extremely put together while doing it. There are moral and ethical realms that we should be just totally topping out on. And of course, everyone else seems to be pulling it off in a sense of knowing and purpose, moving forward, making it happen. Now, I'm always talking about how life is messy. I have a whole podcast episode, if you remember on this, episode number eight, life is messy and that's okay. So when I hear speakers or read books with the message that we are already okay and that we're doing great and they, they lift and support what we're trying to do, when I find messages that allow for our realness and our learning and our self-acceptance and our self-love as our story unfolds, it strikes a chord with me. It feels good. I eat that stuff up. Ganelin Condi has a talk out on CD called You Are Already Walking on Water and a new book coming out called You Are More Than Enough. If that's all I knew about Gaynalyn, I definitely want to talk to her. But she also was the managing editor of Wasatch Woman Magazine when I wrote for them, so we've got some background going on here. I'll let Gaynalyn tell you how she got from there to being the author of seven books, becoming a popular motivational speaker known for inspiring others with her unique honesty and authenticity and spirit, all things that I love, and we'll get into a discussion on timing, on knowing you're enough, and ultimately on trusting the process. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. So, Gangelin, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Hi, it's so great to be with you. Will you just tell us who you are? Fill in a little of your backstory. So I'm a 47-year-old mother of two, married 27 years, and I share that because I think anyone out there that's a mother or a father or married knows that that takes some doing. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And above all, probably my greatest, I guess, accomplishments would be my family. I grew up in a home with some divorced parents and... My mom was a single mom for a time with my sister and I and remarried a wonderful stepdad and then my dad remarried and had a wonderful stepmom and our family grew and I was the first to do everything because I'm the oldest, so first to go to college, first to get married, first to have a baby. It took a while to get that first baby here, so it took about seven years. 
there was an infertility thing and I have lupus or I've had lupus and so I have a heart condition and so um, pregnancy is, is challenging with, with that disease. So your two um, babies are real miracles then, huh? Exactly. And doctors said no babies and so two two is a lot and, and I feel grateful. It took six years to have our daughter after that and around that time after my daughter was a toddler and um, that's when I one day um, happened to see something on TV about this new magazine called Wasatch Woman Magazine and I had a harebrained idea about that and and my involvement in that and I happened to just call the owner of that magazine that started it at, from the beginning and we became dear friends and they had three managing partners and I started a experience that I think was always a dream of mine and and started writing for the magazine and doing PR and the magazine was bought by Media One and I thought I was out of a job because I was just a, a mom with no journalism degree and they offered me the managing editor position and they allowed me to do it from home and so I would frantically like get my daughter to preschool and then drive into the magazine newspaper office once a week just to make my face known because back in that time telecommuting was just starting and mm -hmm. I think corporate people were not quite sure was the person working at home really working? <laughs> so sure. I would try to make an appearance once a week just to show my face and show that I was involved and get to know the other in-house people. And we put out some good magazines and I felt really good about the work that was going on and balancing home and my kids seemed to be thriving and everyone seemed fine. And then one day, you know, as often God speaks to you, plant something on your heart, it was time to leave. And I wasn't quite sure why. And I've come to trust that voice, that when it's time to say no to something, trusting that God sees around the corner. I marched into my boss at the magazine at the newspaper office and, and quit my job and, and gave him the name of someone to replace me. And I don't think he had ever really had that happen before because you don't walk away from managing other positions. Right? They don't come around very often. <laughs> yeah. So already, and, already you're really um, coming from a place of faith. So you're a woman of faith and your your books are all centered on working with God. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, they all have a faith lens. You know, I do have a With God series, specifically the third one in the With God series will come out later this fall. Mm -hmm. Um the first two are I Can Do Hard Things. That was my first book, I Can Do Hard Things with God. And the second was I Can Forgive with God. But the decision that changed my life definitely has a faith um, lens and thread. And the one that's coming out in a few weeks here, more than enough. Definitely, I always include God in, in what I do. And that doesn't have to be specific to one religion. But yes, I think for me, having a power bigger than me in my life, Mm -hmm. is the only way I've gone through infertility and stress in marriage and chronic illness and some other really challenging things. And so when I hear that voice and that relationship for me is with God, that's how I define it. And, and when he, I trust that he's my dad and he has a big plan for me. Mm -hmm. And so when he said, leave something that was very prestigious and had a lot of, I had a lot of access to big important people and <laughs> I got yeah. to be around people that made me feel smart and your kids don't always make you feel very smart sometimes you feel like you're doing Groundhog Day as a mom and I I champion the women out there that show up at work and balance things at home and for the moms that choose to be at home 
full time. And it's challenging to feel like no one walks in and says, oh, thanks for doing the laundry, mom. High five for vacuuming. <laughs> All right. You're, you're so awesome how you folded my clothes, you know. So that day when I quit, I, knew, I wasn't sure why I was being directed to do that. And the next year was a lot of healing for me and refocusing on on who I was and, and getting healthy and strong. And that was important because what was around the corner was a, a year that my son needed me to be much more available than I could have been at the magazine. In hindsight, In looking hindsight, back, it was the right thing to leave. You were prompted. It was preparing. It was, but I feel like God was making sure that my well got filled up the year before it was going to really be drained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it was a very challenging year. And, and eventually some things led to starting a marketing business with my friend, Shauna Fillmore, who I did the magazine with. And that was, that gave me a little bit of an outlet. And, and then I started to feel some nudgings and promptings to do some things. And one of them was to write a book. And I argued with God about it. He told me the title and everything. It was I Can Do Hard Things with God, which is exactly the book that is out there on the shelves, which is kind of crazy in the publishing world that, you know, authors, potential authors want things titled certain ways. But if you go to a publisher, they get to decide. And so um, I fought that. And then my husband lost a job. And I we had never been in that position before. And he got skin cancer. And we had some challenges happen. And... During that time, I had uh, a partner at home with Carpool, and I Mm. put together what was the first manuscript of I Can Do Hard Things with God. I submitted it. It was rejected. I submitted it again, and it was rejected. That sounds really fast when I tell you that in just two minutes, but that's a really long process. Usually submission processes can be up to six to nine months. So it was a lot of waiting and hoping and then rejection. And after that second rejection, I almost decided I maybe God just wanted me to have the adventure of writing a book. He didn't really want it published, you know? And so you never know, know, like, was it just for my learning and it didn't really need to ever be on a bookshelf. And so I almost quit. And she said, you know, I happen to know someone here at this publisher. And so we did some revisions and I turned it in. That was September of 2017. And then in March, of 2014 we had moved into our new home we we're trying to rebuild our lives from really plowing through all of our savings and everything we had sold everything literally like our Christmas tree and our sleeping bags and we had lost $80,000 on our home and maybe your listeners can relate to I call them wilderness experiences or storms And, and that storm kind of had gone on for a while, and we were finally kind of coming out of it. I hadn't heard anything on this manuscript. And then March 11th, so we are almost at four years now. On my mom's birthday, my 40-year-old sister was found in my parents' home while they were out visiting me by my brother, and she had committed suicide. Oh, wow. And that changed everything in my soul, in my faith. In my body, I was the big sister that had always looked out for her and taken care of her. And that grief was almost, I've had therapists say to me, it was that I lost a child. It wasn't that I even just lost a sibling. And that that grief was extreme. And within six weeks of her suicide, I got word from my publisher they wanted to publish that manuscript. And it's an interesting timeline because 
What happened then was I rewrote what was in the original manuscript to not... There was no story of Meg's suicide in the first manuscript. She hadn't died. Right. And so I rewrote what had originally been in there to include now her story, which is now what is in the published version of that book. So the interesting part of that is, had I heard God's voice in writing the book? Yes. And all those rejections along the way weren't that I had heard wrong. It was timing. It was important to know that that suicide story has opened the door to a lot of opportunities to serve in the community and in the world and to reach readers and people that have struggled with either losing someone or have struggled with depression and anxiety themselves. I've had many thousands and thousands of readers write me that struggle with depression and anxiety who had never considered really what would have been left behind had Mm -hmm. they committed suicide. And when they read Meg's story or my story of losing her, it gave them an understanding of how valuable they were. And so for that, I would just say for anyone listening that feels like they don't know why they're living through the storm or the wilderness experience they're going through, I always feel like if we can understand that we are learning some like treasured lessons that will be used to bless somebody else, it helps me get through the storm. And in a really big way, the way I survived Meg's suicide was the release of the book. (laughs) Because all of a sudden I had a book out and I was speaking and it forced me through that first year of grief to really connect with people and heal. That was the beginning of that book did really well. It was a bestseller and it led to a few others. And and um, the speaking has continued to happen. And, and I love that for me because there's a part of my soul that's very private and solitary. And there's another part of my soul that wants to be with a thousand people and talking about what really matters in our hearts. So I love that I get to speak and be with people and I get to write, which is much more at home and alone. So it feeds both both parts of my personality, I think. The timing was for you also because it helped bring you out of this this trial and this space that was so difficult. So it it was water to your soul, but the timing was also yeah. very important that the book be what it needed to be about, which was to include the the part of her suicide, suicide story. Yeah. Uh, so that it could be what it needed to be and what the Lord knew it needed to be. And actually, even a step further on the timing, if you hadn't started the book when you did, you may have been so, so distraught with what went on oh, with your sister that you wouldn't yeah. have been able to create it. So creating it first and then having a space of waiting for the next event so that you could include them in. So that the timing actually becomes really, really orchestrated from a from looking back on it with multiple, yeah, areas, and, multiple areas. And I- And I would say that I think with any hard time in your life, any struggle, I just heard someone well-known say that the true sign of healing is when you give back. And I would say for me, the healing happened while I tried to and continue to try to give back because the anniversary of her suicide is coming up again, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's always learning and growth for me and healing. And sometimes I think, oh, I've just got it covered. I have turned over every rock when it comes to this grief and then something will pop up, right? Some Something will happen and, I, and I'm dealing with another layer of it. And I think suicide specifically is its own kind of grief. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to take away from death for cancer or heart attacks or car accidents right, right. because those are 
tragic and heartbreaking. But the the grief of suicide is there's a lot of what ifs for mm-hmm. the people left behind, mm-hmm. and it can open up a vortex in a family or with friends that are already vulnerable because of the idea of now my grief's here and I'm hurting and I want to escape this pain. Mm-hmm. For me, the writing and the speaking really helped me process that and find good to do. And I know that she is part of that work. Mm. She's with me often when I'm out speaking and she That's champions from an, from another place because she, I, I'm her voice. You know, I can say the things she can't say, which is to stay in your body. And every chance I get, I I get asked to speak for corporations or other places and they want me to come talk about organization or service or whatever. I will always bring up suicide because it touches everyone. Either someone knows someone or someone is struggling with feelings or someone has lost someone. And, And so I think it's an important thing to say to all of us, like your intro shared, it's so easy to think everybody else's life is perfect and even from the outside people may look at my life and go oh my gosh she's got books and speaking you know all these things are happening and and those that have walked my life more closely in the last 10 years can tell you a different story of struggle and pain and loss that has even not been maybe shared in a book or I've not even talked about and so I think we need to be careful because you never know what people are fighting and most of us are fighting something we're all fighting something you know and I think we have to be careful to know that especially with suicide and with social media right now it's so easy if you deal with depression or anxiety to think that everyone else has got life figured out and you somehow are this flawed broken part that is extra and well, so and suicide, yeah, it's so prevalent now, especially with the youth even, you know, I mean, yes. it's like yes. every other week you're hearing of someone else with, yes. you know, the high school system and even multiple yes. people sometimes it blows my mind and, yes. you know, and bullying and the things that attribute to, mm-hmm. to it. And it's, it's a very timely subject because it seems to be quite rampant. And I think it's important that we say to everyone, you're not extra. We're not better without you. And we mm. all hit those points in our lives where we're like, well, the world would be better without me. I'm just a disaster. You know, I'm just a, a big hot mess. And what good am I to anyone in my family? Because I'm either dealing with a chronic illness or I'm always depressed or maybe you keep struggling with unemployment or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to think that our worth is based on what we produce mm, or how many totally. likes we have on Instagram or how many followers we have for our podcast or how many books I sell or how many people come to hear me speak or, you know, how much right. weight we lose or we get really confused really easily. I think when you're always on social media or looking on the outside to see what is the worth yeah. of a soul. Yeah. Not, and, not, I, and I struggle with that. that. So stay away yeah, from the comparison. Yeah, and I think we have to, yeah. And we have to name it to tame it. Like, to have this conversation on a podcast is crucial because we can hear, we need to hear this message almost 70 times 70, right? We almost have to keep hearing it and hearing it because we easily slip into it. We don't even notice that we're doing it mm-hmm. as we're scrolling through Instagram and looking at everyone's lifestyle posts of their house and right. their car and their vacation. Yeah. And so we, we don't even notice that all of a sudden we don't feel so great about our living room furniture or our <laughs> spouse. or what we see in the mirror.
this leads us kind of into your new book that's coming out. And I love the topic. What are the main points that you share in You Are More Than Enough? Because, you know, this concept, you are more than enough just the way you are. So why are we more than enough? It's kind of a big subject to tackle. And it's one that as I wrote it, I had to face my own feelings and inadequacy. So every time I had a chapter to start, that's usually the exact thing I was struggling with. So I tried to break it down into areas that especially for women, we may struggle to feel enough in. And I start with love because for me, when we know our worth, like we were just talking about, and we know for me, ultimately God's love for me, and it's not dependent on how I look or how my kids turn out, then that's the foundation. But I go into enough beauty, enough divinity, enough time, because I think especially in our day and age, men and women are so busy trying to juggle and you never feel like you have enough time. Mm-hmm. I talk about having enough strength and that's when I, you know, pull in examples of where most of most of the people that I admire are doing those hard things and it doesn't look like a, a movie in an hour and a half that you see the ending and you get all those answers. Like I just shared with your listeners this whole journey that took a long time to live through. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't know how it was going to end and most of us are going through something that we need strength for, but we don't know how it's going to end. So we're not at the final chapters yet, right? So yep. how do you have enough strength to keep showing up? That's why timing is such an interesting thing for me because yeah. I am so dealing with that right now in my life. Like I get this picture of where I want the podcast to go or how I want my life to unfold right. or how my what my relation, who I'm supposed to be with and what that's supposed to look yeah. like. And and then it's it's not you know there's like a whole different timing mm-hmm. thing and, and I just have to yeah. keep repeating to myself trust the process trust God yep. you know there's yep. and one of the things that helps me do that which is fascinating is my interviews with you guys with the people that are on the podcast because over and over I keep seeing this pattern you guys share your stories with me and I see you know, we, we get the big picture because we're talking about yeah. your life story. So we're looking at it in hindsight and we're seeing, oh my gosh, there really was orchestration and, and meaning in all these little things and the things that didn't happen and the things that did happen and there's purpose. And when you see that repeatedly in other people's lives, it really, really helps to say, okay, that's probably going on in my life too. Well, I wrote a book that came out last January called The Decision That Changed My Life. All of those stories are exactly what you just said. They are a decision story, but every decision story, I also wrote a ripple effect story from someone Mm. else's perspective. Mm. And some of the people in that book are very well known. They're filmmakers, musicians, vocalists, um, really accomplished people. Some are just like what you would consider the person you run into at the grocery store, right? But all of those decisions, especially with the men, it was so interesting to force them to look back and see the connection, right? There was so many providential moments that mm-hmm. were leading, but all of the people in the book, including myself, my, my, one of the chapters is my own career story. I wrote about a lot of other people too, but I shared that same thing that I just kind of paraphrased for your listeners, that there is, there is a, an amount of faith and trust that's needed because I think God puts I don't think. I know God puts things on my heart, but he doesn't give me all the details surrounding it. So sometimes we get confused because we have that prompting or we're living through a challenging time and we're like, this is nothing like I thought it was going to look. 
You know, mm-hmm. this is not, this isn't what I thought marriage would look like. This isn't what I thought parenting would look like. This isn't what I thought it meant to be an author, an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever you are. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you look back, that is, I think that's the grace you see in older people. I think that's why I love being with older people because they're settled. There's a sense about them that they, they're not, they're not chasing something anymore. And they can, they can sometimes see the connection. Oftentimes though, I, I meet a lot of people when I'm out speaking that are grandparents. They're in a lot of regret because they think somehow they messed it up, that -hmm. they didn't get it right. So in, in the rest of my book, I share some of those categories of patience and faith and having enough. So knowing you have enough or that you are enough, I think for women, sometimes it gets narrowed down to certain categories of our lives that we're, depending on where we're at. Like, I don't feel pretty enough, smart enough, rich enough, whatever enough. But I hope when readers read this, they kind of, through the words and the stories that I do share, see their own life and, and they start to honor that they, they have been enough this whole time. And I think sometimes it's just acknowledging that, like, I am quick to look at the next thing I want to improve in myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not always quick about stopping and patting myself on the back, like, I made it through today, or I made it through that unemployment time, or I made it through that teenage years and got my kid graduated from high mm. school, right? Mm. And, and so much of what we do in life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And no one's giving you a raise or a review about, the, <laughs> for me, the most important things, right? The relationships in my life, no one's coming down and saying, let's schedule your yearly review on how you are as a mom or a daughter or a sister or an aunt, right? It reminds so me that I, earlier this year, I, um, I was calling one of my friends and I or texting her and I said, you know, my, my podcast downloads have, you know, doubled or whatever, whatever the number was at the time. And I'm like, I'm really yeah. excited, but it doesn't, you know, it, it wasn't like huge, but it was like, yay. And I just said, you know, maybe that's not a big deal to anybody else, but 2018 is going to be the year where I celebrate everything. And he said something to the effect of, that is a great, you know, that's a great motto. Let's celebrate everything. And I, I thought, yeah, let's celebrate everything. Because like you say, just, it hadn't dawned on me. My son's about to graduate this year, but I should, when yeah. he does like pat myself on the back. Even though, yeah. Like I got him through high school. They're, yeah. they're all gone. How many parent teacher <laughs> conferences, how many essays, how many math tests, how many spelling tests, how many, you know, dentist appointments. I go to the dentist and I always want to give all the moms in the waiting room a high five, like, or a cookie or something like <laughs> you got your kids to the dentist. Like, I mean, it's, there's a lot to juggle. Right. And, and I'm the same way. Like all I wanted was one book published. Well, by the end of this year, I, I should have my seventh one out. And some days I, I just have tunnel vision, like it's not enough. I can get into mm. this thinking in my head, like there's always an author selling more. And there's already, you know, I want my books mean something to me. I want CDs bought because I want those messages to go out there. Mm. My, you are already walking on water is, is um, one of the messages that I share when I speak about how I, I use the story in the New Testament of Peter. He got out of the boat and he walked on water. But every time a Christian tells that story, we talk about how he feared and then he sunk. We don't talk about how he walked on the water. Well, his brothers, his buddies were all back in the boat. Mm-hmm. He was the only one that had the courage to step out of the boat and walk on water with the Savior. Yes, he got afraid and he sunk. But, but the part of the story that is hopeful for me is that he reached back up 
and started to walk again. And so I think if we're finding ourselves in a situation in our own lives where we're in a thinking time where we're struggling to, you know, get air and we're sinking to the bottom, instead of thinking somehow we are so flawed and we're never going to make it, realize that is the whole process. That mm. is what life is about. There is thinking and there's rising and there's walking on water and there's thinking and rising <laughs> and walking on water. But there are a lot that. of people that play safe and stay in the boat. And yes, they're not yeah. getting wet. And yes, they're not sinking at the bottom. They're not trying to start a podcast like you are. They're not trying to raise kids because they've decided whatever. I was talking to my mom who's struggling right now. You know, there's some things going on with her health and with her her feelings at this time of year, especially. We were talking to her. I'm so sorry I worried you. I said, Mom, that's what it means to be in a family. If I didn't want to be concerned about you, then I guess I could have no family and live on a desert island. That wouldn't be much fun at all, right? <laughs> but life is messy. And, and so why don't we celebrate the fact that we walk on water and we sink? It's okay. The sinking is part of the process. It just means we stepped out of the boat and said we were willing. I, I love that. And you know, it makes me think of Brene Brown stuff about getting in the yes. arena too, right? And then yes. we talk about it here on the podcast about unless you get vulnerable, unless you dare, unless you break through things that are so uncomfortable for you, then you don't create that possibility. And there's a lot of people that choose to stay in very safe places because, they, yes. because they're in a pain avoidance mode. And so mm -hmm. they... So they don't get to feel the, the deep passion. They don't get to feel the, the deep satisfaction. They don't risk. And so they don't get the reward and they don't make the impact and have the impact they could have because of fear instead of faith. And, and why aren't we fearlessly saying, you know what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just, I'm not good at this. So I'm going to say it out loud. I, I don't like failing. I don't like messing up. I don't like disappointing people, right? Who does? Nobody Who does? does, right? Yeah. But I've come to try to become a recovering perfectionist because mm. I've realized that with my sister's suicide, the biggest gift was I had to be okay with how broken I am. Mm. Because at the end of the day, we weren't better without her. And yet she thought that. And most, if not 100% of those that take their lives think they're doing everyone a favor by, by killing themselves. And the truth is, is, if I was okay with her broken parts, why am I not okay with mine, mm. you know? And so are we going to be okay that, yes, we may fail horribly. And Brene Brown is brilliant at this. She has really blown the lid off of vulnerability and shame mm -hmm. because she's framed it in a way that says we're, we're dying here. We're all dying a slow, lonely death. And we're dying from, we're, we're, we're being prevented from having these great, beautiful experiences of walking on water because we're so afraid of the sinking, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't even try it. Mm -hmm. And so I've decided at the end of the day, my biggest fear, if people ask me, my biggest regret will be if I see God and I missed something. I missed mm -hmm. trying something because I was so afraid mm -hmm. that would be way worse than if I tried and failed. Because at the end of the day, when your kids are learning to walk and they try, we're all cheering, clapping, right? And the baby yeah. falls. We don't like shame them and say, oh my gosh, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, your cousin is walking so much better than you at two, two and a half years old. Why aren't you, you know, whatever it is. We, we cheer their trying. And I feel like that's what God's saying to us. He's not saying you idiots. Why are you trying to raise kids? 
Why are you trying to start a business? Why are you trying to start a podcast? Why did you think you could be an author? You know, I get down from a stage after speaking, and if I'm not super careful, I will replay what I just shared. And I will always find areas where I wish I had said it this way, or I didn't say it that way, or why did I, maybe I offended someone. And if I'm not careful, by the time I get home, I, I'm, in a, I'm ready to cancel all my speaking events coming up. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go through the vulnerability afterwards. Yeah. What I've come to know is there's always one person that will reach out. And there's usually more than one, but at least one that says, you changed my life. Whatever you said changed my life. And I think it's for the one. So can we be like what you just said? Can we just celebrate that we tried? My kids did not get the greatest organic food growing up, right? But I kept them alive. Can we celebrate that? You know <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? They yep. had always yep. clean underwear. So I didn't <laughs> clean, cook organic vegetables, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and green smoothies every morning. But I kept them alive, you know? And, and they're going to have to figure out their own path and journey in life. So can we give each other permission for the falling down part? Because that means we were walking in the first place. I like that walking and trying for things. And, you know, if, yeah. we, if we had that mindset all of the time, it would allow us to support and cheer on other people and cut ourselves a lot of slack. And it, yeah. leads, it leads me into this next question, which yeah. in, in stories, there are seven primary archetypes. And we talk about it here on the podcast, some, but yes. like the hero, the shadow self, the herald, the, hero. the, yes. the mentor. Yeah the threshold guardian. Yes. And I want to ask you about yes. the threshold guardian because the threshold oh. guardian is the thing that gets in your way in an attempt to challenge your forward progress to see how badly the hero <laughs> wants their goal, right? To prove oh. the hero's worthiness of what is beyond that threshold. And in your life story, as you have shared your ideas through writing and speaking, and you've stepped onto the, that path that you felt you should follow. Obviously, you know, at every turn, there are going to be threshold guardians. What is maybe one of your biggest or two, if you want to share it, what's the threshold okay. guardian that pops up that challenges you that makes that you get to overcome? If we were videotaping this, you would already see I'm crying. So that tells me I've got the exact answer that is really from my heart. And I hope your listeners feel this authenticity. There are two, there's always two, and they are the same two every time. The first and the foremost one I would say is the adversary. Sometimes when I speak to youth, I call him Voldemort because then every <laughs> Harry Potter fan gets it. Um, for me, it's Satan or Lucifer, and he's the enemy of my peace. He doesn't have what I have. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a marriage and he doesn't have children. In my faith, he doesn't have those things. That's how I define him. And because he doesn't have those things, he will attack the things he doesn't have. So he will attack my body, my marriage, my children, every time. Mm. So when I'm super clear that he doesn't have what I have, which means I have more power than him, <laughs> mm -hmm. then in my mind, I try to call it truth because he's sneaky. He will lie to me with some truth. I call it a, a lie sandwich. So he'll put a truth in between two lies. And I believe the truth and I believe the lies. So I have to be super clear what they are. That brings me to my second one, which is me. I am my own worst enemy. And it's the part of my soul and brain that is the critical one, that is the self-doubter. 
it is the one that is always expecting perfection and not allowing for the falling down in any way. That part of me is the one that he, that adversary can get to. He's, he's able to talk to that girl, <laughs> that part of my soul that thought if I was super perfect, I could fix all the pain I saw in the world or in my family. And I did falsely believe that. So when my sister committed suicide, that's what rocked my soul is mm-hmm. that I thought if I did everything differently, perfectly, and was right about everything, then somehow the pain would stop. The pain I had grown up with, the pain I had seen in her and in myself. It's just not true. There's one savior. There's one perfect being, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say the, the, the enemy I have to get over the most is the one in my head. And I've gotten better at that. I've so gotten how, better how at identifying. So I would say a good friend that mm-hmm. will check you on your thinking. Awesome. I think the other thing that's really helpful is journaling for me. Because sometimes I will write it out and I can see the distortion. And that process for me, maybe because I'm a writer, is really therapeutic. When I journal from my gut, then the first few paragraphs are just mess, right? They're just all the raw feelings that I'm having, that vulnerability, that frustration, that criticism, that um, whatever. And then if I keep writing, I start to get sick of my own complaining, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. I, I start to see where like, wait a minute, what is the truth here? And then I start to see gratitude. The third suggestion is gratitude. For me, gratitude pulls me out of pretty much anything. And there's been some times in my life, I write five things I'm grateful for every day. And I've been doing that for probably 15 years. There are times in my life that it was literally things like toothpaste. Hello. <laughs> you know? And when you're unemployed or underemployed like we have been over the last five years, toothpaste is a big deal. Gas in my car was yeah, a really sure. big deal for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And so when when I do that, I think talking to a trusted friend slays that enemy because mm-hmm. my friends see the truth in me when I can't see it. Just right. like I would never talk to my friends the way I talk to myself. Never. Right. In a million yeah. years. And then if I can't get a hold of someone or I need more time to process, I think journaling is a beautiful way to kind of process the day and not mm-hmm. have to build up so that you challenge some of those thought patterns that continually put you down. I totally constant, do that. Yeah. I, journaling, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's because we're writers, but for me, yeah. maybe it works for everybody just because writing is cathartic. But sometimes I don't it even is. know what I think until I write it down. Oh, and once yeah, I write it down, or, I'm like, and I don't even, oh, yeah. And I don't even write it so I can read it again because I don't want to read it again. I write sometimes <laughs> just freehand and no one can read it, but I know because I'm a writer what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And then I would just say gratitude. Like yeah. there is always something in my day to be grateful for. And there's always someone in the world <laughs> that is struggling way more than me. And I don't mean that in a way that that makes me feel so much better. My son right now is serving an LDS mission in Zimbabwe. Mm. Zimbabwe has the most joyful, poverty-stricken people on the planet. And at Christmas time, he had been there a year. He serves two years in LDS missions. And it's obvious he has become uh, a part of the culture and the country because he doesn't see the poverty anymore. He literally has not seen carpet in a year. 
he had an area that he served in where he didn't have food. He's six seven. He's very tall. And um, there was no food in the town he was in. And so he lived on a couple of pieces of bread a day for about six weeks and oh. started to get sick. So we're not talking about, oh, there's just not a close by Walmart. It, it's poor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they've gone through a military coup and they've had some challenges. Right. And at Christmas time, when we were talking to him, because you only get to talk to your LDS missionary twice a year, Christmas and Mother's Day, he said, I don't know why everyone thinks everyone's so poor here. And I started to laugh because this was the kid, I'm telling you, that he would come upstairs and if we were out of Cheez-Its, he would say, there's no food in this house. I mean, that's who he was, right? <laughs> and so he, he, he was like, I don't see it because he sees the industry of the people and he sees their hope. Mm-hmm. And they've had a horrible dictator for 40 years and they have maintained their hope. That for me is one of the guiding compasses that I've used the last year. First of all, that my son has lived and joyfully and survived a year, over a year in Africa is one thing because I'm his mom and I know what he was like growing up. He's wonderful. We but learn and grow, mirror, don't we? we yeah, yeah, it's a miracle. yeah, it's a miracle. But secondly, I think, can I be more like the Zimbabwe people? Mm. They didn't spend 40 years blaming their dictator. They found a way to survive and thrive and maintain faith and joy. Right. And so can I do that? Can I do that regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of how many books are sold or bought, regardless of, you know, what vacation I don't get to go on or do get to go on or what my kids even Mm. choose to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's I I don't know if that's helpful, but my my biggest enemy is probably Satan or Voldemort, whatever you want to call him and um, my own self. I believe deeply that our the stories that we tell ourselves are either the greatest gifts to us or the the greatest detriment to us. And so it yes. really is inside our heads. We create those stories. We create yes. our realities and we create or we destroy our self-love. So when we come back to these topics, which we'll just, you know, we'll close off here, but this idea of being enough, if the stories in your head are telling you that you're not enough, then they get to yes. be framed. You know, they get to be, yes. and like you mentioned, you're, um, your sister choosing to leave because she didn't feel like, you know, like she was enough. Yeah, but she got, she got tired. And, and I think she fought a lot of demons that a lot of your listeners fight. And 40 years of that, it, it wore her out. But if I could give to her that one more, I know she would have changed her mind the minute she made that choice. That's what I say. Suicide is about one choice. It's not about all the choices someone makes, but it's a choice that takes away all your other choices. Mm. So you know, I think you're right that I, that was my hope in writing You Are More Than Enough, that in the midst of reading this book, a person would change the story they were telling themselves based on what they had read. It would help wake up a reader to see they really are enough. They are, there is evidence to hold firmly onto because we can say it to each other, <laughs> but in the dark closets when we're a disaster, right? What, what do we have to hold on to when we're really thinking, I don't, I don't have anything left in me and I don't think I ever had enough, you know? So I think you're right. I think it's, it is the story. It is so powerful that you're doing this podcast because it is the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think we're going to wake up at 87 and think, man, we really did rock it. Why did we worry all that time? <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you yeah, look- we're going to look back and go, I look hot at 47. Why was I so worried about it? You know? <laughs> 
Because at 87, 47 is looking awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Galen, where, where could people want to see where you're speaking or see what books you have out? What's your website? Where do you want people to go to learn? So, more? my first name is Galen, which no one has that name in the world. That's, an, that's another story, but G-A-N-E-L-L-Y-N. They can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or at gainolin.com. And there's usually an updated calendar of speaking events that I'm going to be at um, and any books that are out or may be out or interviews I've given on Huffington Post or on local television. So people can find me. That's the one great thing of having the strangest name that no one has in the entire world. You're easy then to you find. Can, <laughs> yeah. And you can make your own website and no one has your URL because no one even knows how to say your name. So <laughs> there you go. There's something to be <laughs> grateful for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts for the, the timing of your story and the, the orchestration from higher power that you see in guiding you to do the things that you're doing and the topic, you know, reminding us that we do have enough going on. And if your stories are saying that you don't, then revamp those stories because like you said, in the dark closets, if the stories inside your own head are not reinforcing looking at the positive, choosing to see the beauty in who you are and what's going on around you and the gratitude, then you get to reframe those and you get to rework them over and over and over until you rebuild those neural pathways to a positive space so that when you are in those dark closets, what you hear isn't the horrible. What you hear is really coming from you and it is a positive story. I love it. Amen, sister. Amen. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. One of the popular sayings that was prevalent in my emotional intelligence training that I did for that year was trust the process. It was something that was said over and over. Every time we questioned something that was going on or couldn't see our way forward, it, we always came back to trust the process. And that's so hard when you can't see. It, it's literally like you are walking into a dark room, lights totally off. You have to take a step and you don't know where your footfall is. The way before you gets lighted one step at a time. It's always another step into the dark. It's amazingly hard. I don't know if, can you all relate to that? Do your lives unfold that same way? But trusting the process has been a really big deal for me. So in listening to and having these conversations with the guests on the podcast and being able to see their lives and um, the orchestration of things coming together and lives unfolding and there being meaning to to delays being meeting meaning to stuff that doesn't happen the way you expect it to and in the end having things come together with purpose so as we leave today and leave this interview with Gainalyn some beautiful insights, a beautiful person. Check out her stuff on her website because she really does have a lot of resources. You know, your challenge for this week is to trust the process. Look at your life, look at what isn't turning out the way it's supposed to, or even what is. Maybe you're in a space where everything's coming together, or maybe you're getting thrown a few threshold guardians, or maybe there's just a curveball here or there. Trust the process that there's meaning. Trust the process that God is aware of you. Trust the process that it will all be orchestrated in the end for our best good. Thanks for tuning in. 
just a couple quick reminders like we do at the end of the podcast. Don't forget to sign up for the free audio ebook that you can find on the website www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. It's called The Key to Your Super Self, How Your Stories Unlock Your Superpower. It's free. You don't even have to go to Audible to get it. You can get your own audiobook right there. It'll download onto your computer. Also, of course, if you haven't hopped on the 21-Day Challenge bandwagon, head to the website, sign up for it. Fun, productive, guided way to create more love and peace and possibility in your story. Every day you get a challenge to try out another tool in creating your best life story. Really fun. Just do it. It'll, it'll give you a kick boost, some interesting stuff in your life, and some tools that you can work with for here and ever after. Share one of the podcast episodes, this one, or one of the others that you like really well with someone that you know it will touch and help and share the love out there, people. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.